All right, welcome everybody back to the Intersection Podcast presented to you by the Sports and Society Initiative at Ohio State. I'm your host, Kevin Lapka, with my co-host, Brendan Casera. We have another very, very special guest for you guys today. We welcome Paul Keels, Ohio State football and basketball play-by-play announcer for the Ohio State IMG Sports Network. Paul, we're very happy to have you here. How are you doing? Doing good, guys. Glad to do it. Glad to be part of it. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on. We're going to uh, talk about a variety of different topics today, but we kind of want to start with their current landscape of sports, what we've been hearing about, whether there's going to be fans in the stands or not. And I just want to ask you, as an announcer, you know, whether you know, we may not have fans in the stands come August once football season starts back up, barring that there is a football season. But for you as an announcer, you know, what has been going through your head? How do you anticipate it is going to be different calling a game from the booth without the environment of an audience there? Would anything change? Well, really have tried not to think too much about that because there's still so much time before that would happen that so many things could change. It, there seems to be some signs of optimism uh, that there will be some fans in the stands, uh, but who knows for sure. Uh, bottom line, it won't change what we do. We'll still have to make the same preparations. Uh, if anything, our biggest concerns right now are what kind of access to interviews for our pregame shows, our coaches' interviews. Uh, those are questions that there aren't, aren't answers to right now, but just in a general sense here in late uh, in mid-June, we just approach it, myself and my coworkers, that it's going to be the same as what we've done all along. Hey, Paul, and, um, you know, the Indians baseball team, and I know different sport, but they had announced that their announcers, if there is a baseball season, will be calling road games from home. Have you thought about the possibility of that, what that may feel like, if, if that's uh, something you guys may have to do? It's certainly something we've had to think about. I think all of baseball has been told that they're TV and radio announcers. I don't know if it's 100% certain yet, Brendan, but uh, it's been strongly encouraged that they will probably have to do those games remotely. It seems the same is going to happen with the basketball tournament next month at Nationwide Arena, those games are going to be broadcast on television remotely from Indianapolis. Huh. So we've had to at least consider it, and especially with uh, the second week being a trip that takes you all the way across the country to Eugene, Oregon, um, something that I've never done before. Uh, for football, it would certainly seem to be a challenge just because of all of the different elements the TV broadcast put in, and it doesn't allow you to watch for substitutions coming off the sideline. Not certain what you would see as far as down and distance and things like that. Uh, but again, there's still a lot of time to know whether that's going to happen, as well as what kind of travel restrictions might occur if we are able to do road games on site. So, um, yeah, it's something that at least has been discussed briefly. But again, Brendan, it's, there's still a lot of time uh, to know whether anything like that's going to happen. So for you and other announcers, whether you're doing it from home, whether you're there without fans, do you feel kind of a bigger duty to bring the game to people uh, in a, with a stronger element because you don't have the background noise of fans, because you don't have all the other different elements of the game, all those intrinsic details um, and really the aura of the game that's around it? Do you feel like you have a duty to kind of elaborate on the things that are happening to really give that feeling to the audience? Well, Kevin, it's not any different from what we would do in a normal situation when it's a full stadium and, and things are in a normal uh, universe, if you want to put it that way. So it would be the same approach. You know, one of the things that we really focus on is, especially with radio, it's uh, location of the ball, uh, mm -hmm. down and distance, time and score. So those things would all be the same, regardless of whether people are in the stands or not. Uh, we're very fortunate to get a lot of input from people, even though all the games are on TV. 
there certainly are people, whether they've got to be at their kids' games, if they're working, they're traveling, there's still a need for radio. So it wouldn't be any different uh, as far as our approach to it. It would feel a little different without fans, if that's the case, or without a lot of noise. But, you know, we've done some spring games that have been with minimal fan participation also. So, you know, it's, it's it'd be different from those spring game situations, but it would still, again, <clears throat> excuse me, just be the same approach that we take all the time. And what have you done during this time? It's been uh, it's been kind of a while since we've been able to broadcast anything for Ohio State. So what have you done during this time maybe to stay sharp, or has it just been a time to kind of rest and take a break from everything and get ready for whenever we do have sports? Well, Brandon, my routine has been the, sim- the same that it would normally be, except I'm doing uh, afternoon sportscasts for our flagship station, 97.1 The Fan, but I'm doing them from home rather than going into the radio station. It's a time of year where my schedule would be a little lighter, uh, having weekends off, uh, trying to get vacation in, although some of my vacation plans have been trashed a little bit. But uh, so it's kind of the same thing. Uh, you know, I've been able to work from home, be able to do more things at home during the course of that. Uh, so it's, it's been similar to what it would be, except the only difference being at home rather than in our radio station. And what kind of advice would you give to young broadcasters trying to get into the field right now during this time? Obviously, um, no sports to call. What what should young broadcasters be doing to kind of keep up and, and sharpen those skills during this time, do you think? That's tough because one of the things that has always been a great tool, and, and it was things that I did myself when I was in college, is take a tape recorder out to a sporting event, whether it's a Little League baseball game or something like that and, you know, get as much of a roster you can and do that. Well, with some of those, I know some of the, the outdoor sporting events have started up now, but certainly not as many as what normally would be. Uh, it's kind of hard to do that based off of uh, replays of old games on TV because you don't always have some of the material to work with. But that's usually the best thing to do. Once sports do start up, uh, I was very fortunate when I was at school at Xavier University, our student station broadcasts the Xavier basketball games even in the nights when I was not assigned to do it for the student station, I would take a tape recorder and sit in the upper press box area and practice doing the games myself. So that's in a normal circumstance. uh, And even though this is not, but the opportunity just to get practice repetition like that is the best thing you can do. And I want to ask you a little bit about uh, football next season too. You know, I know Kevin touched on it already a little bit, but um, you know, with stadiums partially full, especially on the road, do you think that plays to kind of an advantage for Ohio State, a team that's a little more talented than maybe the rest of the field, but not having to deal with that road environment um, that some of those teams, it's just so tough to play at? That's possible, Kevin. Uh, yeah, the thing that it would do is it would take away some of the influence of the Ohio State fans who are so good at traveling to road stadiums. Uh, so you don't know where that comes into play as well. Um, and certainly for the athletes, that would be something they'd mentally have to adjust to, to not having some of those same surroundings. Probably easier for them once they get involved in playing and once they get involved in contact. Uh, but it's, it's hard to say for sure. Ohio State's done so well on the road traditionally in recent years. Uh, so you don't really know. If, if anything, it could be harmful to the home team who would count on that. Specifically for this Ohio State team in 2020, uh, what, what do you like about them and what are your kind of expectations for them? Uh, obviously, you got some very talented players going the first round of the draft. They lose some high talented players, but as guys go, other guys come in and it's still one of the most talented rosters in college football. So what do you like about this year's team? Well, Kevin, I think the first thing you have to start with is talking about the coaching staff. 
and looking at the job that Ryan Day has done, not just last year, but what he had done previously as a quarterback's coach, what he did in 2018 for three games as the acting head coach, and, and maybe one of the points that didn't get talked about as much last year, uh, the success he had with the hires that he brought in, with the new assistant coaches, Jeff Halfley, who did a good enough job that he landed him a head coaching job at Boston College, and certainly bringing Al Washington and Greg Madison in to help tighten up things defensively, being able to bring Kerry Combs back this year, uh, but also the addition of Mike Yersich with what he did as a quarterback's coach. Uh, so I think, you know, he's done an outstanding job in assembling his own staff, as well as continuing with the guys that were there, like a Brian Hartline, like a Larry Johnson. Uh, but then you, when you have a returning quarterback that showed all of the things that Justin Fields showed last year, and when you consider that this is a young man that's got a lot of room to grow even still, that, that excites you a great deal. Yes, they lost a, a record-setting running back. They lost record-setting wide receivers. But when you think about Trey Sermon coming in as a graduate transfer, uh, not knowing what's going to happen with the other backs, Master Teague and, and Marcus Crowley, who were hurt. Steel Chambers got some opportunity. And then Demario McCall somewhere in the mix there. Uh, the receiving group with guys like Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, playmakers. Yes, they lose key people on the offensive line, but you've seen Greg Spadrawa continue a tradition of growth there. They lose an outstanding defensive lineman to Chase Young, but with some of the, the, the great development that we've seen from some of those other defensive linemen, whether it's a Haskell Garrett, Tommy Togiai. Uh, Teron Vincent after missing last year, uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste, Zach Harrison. Uh, there's really a feeling there, experience coming back at linebacker. The, the question we're all probably watching for is the secondary. You lose two starting cornerbacks and, and you lose the safety of Jordan Fuller, but you know that's where the Kerry Combs influence can be big. And we've seen Ohio State lose great players before and have other players step in and, and develop and take their place. So that's part of what encourages you as a whole about Ohio State football. Almost every year, there's one player that comes out of nowhere. People didn't expect him to put up numbers, and he does. Being around the team and knowing what you know about them, is there any kind of sleeper player, I guess you could coin that, uh, who fans should be looking out for where this year could, could make a little bit of noise for the team? You know, ooh, that's a tough one, Kevin. I, I, certainly to see if some of these linebackers continue to take their game forward. Uh, Malik Harrison had an outstanding season, but, you know, can Baron Browning, now that he's going to get an opportunity – uh, it seems like, from what we understand, possibly be on the field at the same time with Tuff Borland and Pete Warner. Can he expand what we saw at times and make great plays? Uh, it'll be interesting to see if any of these defensive backs, uh, seven banks who've shown great ability on special teams to do some things, can, can he be a guy that can make some things happen? You know, we talked about some of those defensive linemen. I don't know that we're going to see anybody grab the headlines like Chase Young did, but Certainly can uh, a guy like a Haskell Garrett, a Tommy Togiai, some of the uh, Antoine Jackson, can they be guys that can uh, jump forward and have their name talked about a lot? And on the offensive side, if, uh, you know, any of those running backs, if they're able, number right. one, to be healthy, number two, be able to handle everything. And if there's an incoming freshman, uh, this may be hard for incoming freshmen because of virtually no spring football. Uh, so that, you know, but who grabs a hold of the running back position that does something could be interesting to see. So in the past three years of Ohio State football, <clears throat> some up and down seasons, but exciting football nonetheless, what was maybe your favorite or most memorable moment or play uh, to call live in the past three years? So in kind of recent history, what has really stuck out as, man, that moment or that play was just something that I'll remember calling that live. Wow. Um, if I had to pare it down to a single play, it might be 
you know, Curtis Samuel in overtime uh, scoring a game-winning touchdown against Michigan and Columbus. Uh, you know, last year, there were so many lopsided games that it was hard to really pin one particular play down. You know, over the last 23 years, there's certainly some that jump out. But in the last three, uh, I probably would have to say uh, Curtis Samuel and what he did against Michigan in double overtime. And looking at last year's team, um, coming into this year, who do you think has the biggest, maybe not breakout year, but the biggest jump from, from last year to this year? Hmm. Um, you know, it's probably, Brendan, going to have to be one of those running backs. And some of that, it's easy to say because they're replacing a guy that did so many things for three years in J.K. Dobson. So it, whether it's Trey Sermon, whether it's Master Teague, if he recovers, whether it's uh, Marcus Crowley, if he recovers, uh, whether it's Steele, uh, that would be somebody that really would break through. It may end up being a group by committee. Uh, you know, and I think we have to kind of selectively throw Demario McCall in there too. But probably, you know, we know what we're looking at with the receivers, especially with guys like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Uh, but probably would have to be one of those running backs. What do you think is going to be the impact of kind of a shortened preseason, not really a true training camp going on right now in, in the first few weeks? We're virtual and everything. You know, our team's going to come out slow. Our team's going to – the freshmen not going to be totally up to par. I mean – I think there are going to be drastic impacts for that because of the, you know, slight lack of preparation for the 2020 season. What, what do you see that impact being like? Well, Kevin, probably the biggest thing, and Ryan Day talked about it not too long ago in one of his availabilities, and it's going to be how they get things started in easing players back into all of the physical activity without overdoing it, without having guys come up with hamstring pulls or, or muscle pulls or things like that because of not having had the spring. They had two practices in the spring. And – dovetailing off that, do you hope that these players, when they were on their own, where they were at home or wherever they were, they were working out, doing things that needed to be done to avoid some of that. But that's probably going to be the key, being able to, in some ways, ease guys into what it is they have to do and then at whatever pace accelerate into the physical demands that will be there, all while trying to get a game plan put together. Uh, you know, They know what their offense is going to be. They know what their defense is going to be. But just being able to ingratiate all of that into – the adjustment to getting back into that type of physical condition. It's going to be interesting to watch. Paul, do you have a favorite NFL team by any chance? Well, I grew up in Cincinnati, so I'm a lifelong Bengals fan. Uh, I've suffered through their difficult years. I've also <laughs> been fortunate enough to attend both Super Bowls that they played in. Um, wow. And so very encouraged. Uh, you know, it was kind of a slam dunk. They were going to take Joe Burrow. Uh, they can't they, – you know, there's no place to go but up for them. It, it certainly might be another year of transition. Well, the second year of a new head coach. But, uh, yep, live and die with the Bengals. So, Joe Burrow, obviously that is uh, a familiar name for you as he was an Ohio State transfer. I know you said you, you things look promising. Uh, kind of an older guy, but still a man with a lot of talent. Broke almost every record in college football for LSU that you could imagine. Uh, what, what do you like about Joe Burrow, especially that he's got a little bit of Ohio blood in him? Well, that, that's the first thing, Kevin. But also the fact this is a guy that uh, when you think about what he did at Ohio State, was able to graduate and take care of the academic part of things, even while not getting to play as much as he would have liked. Uh, it makes you all wonder, too, if he hadn't suffered that broken bone in his hand a couple of years ago, how things might have turned out differently at Ohio State. Uh, would he have been the starter rather than Dwayne Haskins? Uh, but the fact that he was able to go to LSU, get into a new program, do what he did, and, and a multi-threat quarterback. Outstanding both throwing the ball and running the ball. 
that he's a guy that can really put a lot of strain on defenses. Uh, a competitive guy for those who know him uh, from what we hear and the way he works out, the way he approaches the game. Uh, you know, the son of a coach, he, you know, he's been around football from his father's and his uncle, his father and his uncles, excuse me, who played at Nebraska. So he certainly got a lot of good football genes, but a guy that really has been able to, to go from a successful high school career uh, to one college, then to another college, and really be able to approach successfully handling whatever was thrown in front of him. Looks like Joe Burrow may have an interesting career. I want to ask uh, one more thing, just kind of about the recruiting class for Ohio State. I mean, every week you look at it and they're just racking up top recruits. They have the best recruiting class by far. Uh, it's, it's quite amazing. You know, what have you seen from that recruiting class that's really promising for Ohio State in the future? Well, I haven't seen anything. We've had no access. So we can't, haven't really been able to see anything, especially with no spring football. You know, right. Kevin and Brandon, I'm not one of those guys that is one of these recruit nicks. I, I, I'm keeping <laughs> up the guys that are on the team already. Yeah. Uh, so my exposure and my knowledge gets to be once they start practicing and once they start playing games. I, but I think what we can say as a constant, and it's a credit to Ryan Day and his staff, that they've continued to recruit at a very, very high level nationally to get what they need at Ohio State, following what Urban Meyer did. And, you know, we've seen uh, John Cooper, certainly he brought incredible talent into Ohio State. Jim Tressel, the same thing. Uh, you can't discount the influence of Luke Fickle as an assistant coach for a long time, but one year as a head coach. So I think certainly what we can count on is this is a recruiting class that comes in with great credentials, uh, having had great success at the high school level. And then you hope that they're able to do, because once they get there, you know, the coaches can only do so much, but it's up to them to continue to work at improving their game taking the coaching, taking care of all of the things off the field that they need to take care of to improve. So I know that doesn't really give you a specific answer, Kevin, but it, again, it's hard enough to keep up with the ones that are already there, let alone <laughs> that haven't put the uniform on. Right, and it is a strong testament to the coaching staff, and, and it's good signs for Ryan Day that just in his second year, he's been able to get all these recruits and bring everybody to Columbus, and people want to play for him and that team. And let's hope that we get to see them play uh, this coming fall, and let's hope Paul Keels is there to announce it for us. Paul, we really appreciate you coming on and speaking with us today. My pleasure, guys. Take care. Take care. All right. You too. All right.